Well, today we continue in our Life on the Line sermon series. And as I mentioned in the announcements, your existence has two phases. The dot phase, which you're currently experiencing, you were born, you live, and you will die. And then there's the line phase. The moment that you die, that this dot phase phase ends, you will continue on on the line phase for all eternity. And so we'll spend most of our existence living beyond the grave. So it really is important to grasp this reality, right? Because the more you grasp this, the more your short dot life, phase of life, is changed for good. Last week, we looked at the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There, Paul corrected our understanding of the resurrection. If God's people are not resurrected into physical bodies in the age to come, then the Christian faith is really a joke. Today, Paul addresses questions we have about those resurrected bodies to come. Have you ever wondered what life will be like then? What will this body be like that God promises us in the gospel? Well, we get a much better glimpse of that. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 35, I encourage you to have your Bibles open or have your app open on your phone. We're in the ESV translation, if that helps. It's page 961 of your pew Bible, 961. Please follow along as I read aloud. And notice the questions that are addressed. But some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this word to us. On the surface, it really, it really is amazing. Um, our minds are asking questions. We're wondering um, what this would be like. Is it really true? We're thankful, Father, that in Christ Jesus, we have experienced the first fruits. Help us to ask good questions, and by your spirit, will you answer us in this hour, we pray. Amen. Think of all the various questions, kind of the silly questions that tend to preoccupy our minds here on earth. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Will J-Lo ever get back with Ben? The word is on the street, it's a strong possibility. Why is it that we drive on parkways and park on driveways? Why do we say that people work like a dog when all dogs do is lie around? If a Smurf starts to choke, what color will he become? Why is drowsiness listed as a side effect for sleeping pills? What was the first person to milk a cow trying to do? Life is full of silly, inconsequential questions. (laughs) I'm glad you guys are laughing because I'm like, if this doesn't work, I'm in trouble. All right. But we also have more serious questions in life. What should I study in school? Should I marry him? Should I marry her? Should I do chemo or not? Lately, we've been asking even bigger questions. In our first sermon in our Life in the Line series, we asked, is God really going to recreate this universe and this earth physically? And the the amazing answer is yes. God will create the universe, and there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and God will dwell with mankind. Last week we asked, is there really going to be a resurrection of the dead in the age to come? And the answer is yes. Resurrected bodies are central to the gospel message. Just as Jesus rose bodily from the dead, so too all who believe in Christ will rise at the day of resurrection to come. We will rise in new physical bodies. Now, the Apostle Paul has given the church in Corinthians a lot to process in the first half of chapter 15 that we looked at last week. My guess is that those of you who were here were ruminating on the message last week, and you had a few more questions to ask. Well, 
have no fear. Paul has questions that he addresses. Once we come to grip with the fact that heaven will ultimately be a physical experience, the wheels start turning, do they not? So it's good for us the right questions. But what questions should we ask? Paul is really smart. He knows what's going to be on the minds of those first readers, and he knows what's on our minds here today. And so he asks questions. And so today we're going to spend time looking at the imperishable bodies to come that will be ours in Christ, and we're going to ask these three questions that Paul asks. How, what, and why? How, what, and why? So first, the how. And Paul addresses this first question in verse 35. Feel free to look at that. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? This question evokes the Corinthians' skepticism. Kind of like, how on earth is this even possible, right? Well, Paul illustrates the how with two analogies. The first analogy is in verse 36 through 38. Paul writes, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. So the analogy here is what? Seeds are to these beautiful plants they become as dead bodies are to resurrected bodies. The two points here are this. First, death must take place. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Think about it. If you want beautiful ears of corn like we have out here on the east end, like so yummy, right? How do you get that? Well, you don't take last year's corn stalks and replant them. No, you take the dead seeds, you plant them in the ground, and you wait for something amazing to grow. A death must first take place. And Jesus, in referring to his own death on the cross, said these words in John chapter 12. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Think about that. Jesus himself saw his own body as a seed to be planted, to die, so that it may bear a harvest. Our lives are testimony to that work. The second point is that resurrected bodies will be amazingly different from our present bodies. Our current bodies are like acorns. I have a oak trees in, on my property, and it's, in the fall, just acorns after acorns fall down. And they're just like, I mean, you can't really do much with an acorn, right? Unless you're a deer, I guess you eat acorns. I got an arborist looking at me, waiting on, he's like, what is he going to say? Um, an acorn really isn't that much. They kind of hurt when you walk on them with bare feet. You can't do much with an acorn, but once you sow it in the ground, an acorn can become something quite different. Think about it, a ma marvelous oak tree. If you never knew oak trees exist, and you look at an acorn, you say, yeah, not much, right? But when it dies, when it's planted, it becomes something far different, far more glorious. No one looks at an acorn and goes, ah, look, a future tree. Right? We go, that's an acorn. I need to get it out of the way. But that is what Paul wants us to do, to see how God will give us the body that he has chosen. Listen, the bodies that we have right now in our dot phase of life, it is but a seed, an inglorious little seed that will one day resurrect into something profoundly glorious and good. We need to be thinking along these lines. And that's the point that Paul is making. 
Verse 38, but God gives to each kind of seed its own body, resurrected body. God takes your body, takes your life, plants it in the ground, and with the resurrection, something far different comes to life. As an acorn is to an oak tree in seed form. Listen, Christians, are, we are resurrected bodies in seed form right now. Did you ever th- thought of yourself like that? We are seeds. We're going to be something far more glorious in the age to come. The body that we will one day have is up to God. And my friends, we should expect something marvelous. So to summarize Paul's point here, here's where we are. Death is to precede resurrection. Our dot phase of life must come to an end. And then comes the eternal line. Our lives are but seed form of a greater glory to come. And this glorious work is out of our hands, is it not? God Almighty is the one who takes our earthly seed body, plants them, and raises them to be like mighty oaks compared to what we have now. That is the first analogy. The second analogy has to deal with the variety of glory within creation. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. And look into the heavens, the heavenly bodies and the earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earth is another. Just look at the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon. They're different. There's another glory for stars. And even stars have different glory. The analogy here is that just as creatures on earth differ in relative glory, and just as suns and moons and stars differ in glory, so too our resurrected bodies will differ in glory to our present earthly bodies. Paul is saying, just look at how amazing God is in his creativity, his glorious creating of all kinds of things. With a, you can look at some of them with a telescope. Some of them you have to look at with a microscope. But this creation is full of glory. Paul is saying, just look at how good God is at creating glorious objects. And so if God can create amazing diversity and glory on a whim, certainly the body he will resurrect you into will be of the greatest of glory. So how does this help us this morning? I think we often find it hard to imagine what that is like. Paul is trying to get us to start thinking along the lines. See, if we find it hard to imagine that God can raise up new, amazing, resurrected bodies, we haven't been looking sufficiently at his glory already manifested in the present creation. Paul's point is that because there already is a variety of glory, we must believe that God can make our bodies far more glorious. So that's the how. Now for the what. Just what will these bodies look like? I've done some freehand sketches. I'm about ready. No, I'm joking. We don't know exactly what they will look like, and you don't want to look at anything I've sketched. Trust me on that. The question is in verses, uh, we see in verse 35. But someone will ask, with what kind of body do they come? What kind of bodies will believers receive in the age to come? Paul tells us that these bodies to come will be like Jesus' resurrected body. Look at verse 49. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, that is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, who is Jesus Christ. Sorry, I don't have any pictures of what the resurrection is like, but the word of God does give us some insights. We have to use our imagination. 
Prior to going to the cross, Jesus told his disciples, some of you will not perish until you've seen this glory. And then the next day, what do they do? They go up on a mountain and Jesus is transfigured before them. Here's what we read in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, in other words, this voice interrupts him, right? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified, and so would you and me. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Jesus displayed for them his future resurrected body to these three disciples. He wanted to give them and us a glimpse of what is going to happen. And notice Peter, he is like mesmerized. He like doesn't want that day to edge. You know, it's like going to Montauk and the waves are great, you know. He could just sit there and stare at Jesus forever. How about, we, how about I get some tents? This has to go on for a while. Fast forward to after his death and resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples multiple times, right? He ate fish with them in a physical body. He asked them to touch him, and, and perhaps they did. We don't know if Thomas did. My friends, think about it. Jesus, in all eternity past, was a spiritual being in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He came and he took on flesh 2,000 years ago, and now Jesus has a physical body for all eternity. His body is capable of doing things that ours cannot do, at least not yet. Jesus was somehow able to enter into rooms that were locked shut. He was able to come and go without being seen, Jesus had a natural body that has become a supernatural body after his resurrection. And so let this think in, sink in. Jesus continues to exist forever and ever in his glorious resurrected body. And that body is a pattern for ours to come. So back to the question Paul is addressing, with what kind of body do they come to life in? Beginning in verse 42, Paul gives us for radical contrast. They couldn't be more radical than what we see here. The first contrast is this, perishable versus imperishable. Verse 42, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. Perishable means destructible. Paul is telling us that our bodies are, these seeds are just, they're just seeds of disease and death, right? It is only a matter of time before our bodies succumb. Imperishable means indestructible. In the resurrection to come, our bodies will be raised indestructible. The body to come will never decay, will never die. We will enjoy indestructible, imperishable existence forever. 
The second contrast is dishonor versus glory. Verse 43, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Think about it, the word to sow, it's, it's figurative language for, for burial, right? A commentator, Anthony Hokema, asks, what could be more dishonorable to a body than lowering it into a grave? As a pastor, I've done this numerous times at graveside interment services. Lowered a body, a person I'd once known, lifeless, dead, into a grave. There's nothing more dishonorable to a body than that. What God has made for eternity lies lifeless because of sin. But God will make what is lifeless to rise to glory. Philippians 3.20, Paul writes, but our citizenship is what? In heaven. And from it we what? await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Listen, if you believe the gospel, this is at the heart of it. The gospel isn't Jesus came so you can have a fun life on earth and then die. No. The gospel is God has redeemed you and saved you for a glorious age to come. That is what we need to have our focus on. C.S. Lewis makes the point that if you were ever to meet one of your neighbors in this transfigured state, like here on earth, like Bob, your neighbor, comes to return your weed whacker, and he's transfigured into this glory that is to come, C.S. Lewis says you would be tempted to worship him. Right? The next contrast is between weakness and power. It is sown in weaknesses, is raised in power. My friends, oh, to never become tired. Think about all the nights, all the nights that you go to bed thinking, what a tiring day. I'm exhausted. Oh, shoot, my alarm goes off in six hours. Some of you are thinking, no, mine goes off in five. Yeah, but you get the point. No matter how fit you are, all humanity is weak. Our bodies become tired daily. We long for rest. We cry out for strength. In the age to come, my friends, we will be perfectly powerful. There will be nothing good that you desire to do that you will not have the power to do. Think about how much fun that would be. To be able to pole vault over 25 feet, right? Fun, power. Fifth contrast, natural versus spiritual. Verse 44, it is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, we need to spend some time here because some people mistake this spiritual body as saying that there's like a non-spiritual resurrection, but that's an oxymoron. Those things can't hang together. This is not what spiritual body means. I mean, if Paul meant that we would be raised spirits, he would have said it is sown in natural body. It is raised what? A spirit. But Paul says it is raised a spiritual body. The word translated natural is psychikos. It doesn't mean physical. Greek speakers in Paul's day, the word psyche meant soul, not body. And Greek words ending in ekos describe not the material out of which things are made, but the power or the energy that animates them. N.T. Wright gives this helpful illustration. What we see here isn't whether a ship is made out of wood or iron. Rather, the question is, 
whether it is a steamboat or a sailing ship? What is it that animates the ship? Or in Paul's sense, what is it that animates this body to come? So Paul, in talking about the present body, present body is what? It's animated by the normal fallen human psyche. And the future body will be perfectly animated by the glorious spirit of God. The spiritual body of the resurrection is one which will be not just partially, but totally animated and directed by the Holy Spirit. And so for now, we're housed, housed in weak bodies, animated by our fallen psyche. How did this happen? Paul points us to the first Adam, verse 47. Paul contrasts the first man, Adam, with what he calls the second man, who is Christ. Adam was a man of dust, so, who, so too are all who are born of earth. That's us, we're born of dust. But there's a second Adam, this man from heaven, Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you too are now part of those who are of heaven. In Christ, you have a new identity. Now check out verse 49. Just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Our bodies now are presently rooted in Adam and his fallen earthly image. But our bodies to come are going to be after the image of the second Adam, Jesus. Listen to the words of the disciple John in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Like him. So what kind of body will, re will you receive in this resurrection of the dead? A body just like our risen Lord's imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual. My question is, do you long for this? So that's the how and the what, now for the why. We see the whys in verses 50 through 57. And there's three of them we'll look at real quickly. The first one, the first why is, God will give us eternal glorious bodies. Why? Because your current body is not equipped for this place you're going. It could not even begin to habitate this place. A number of years ago, my good friend, Brent Hayek, kind of crazy guy, most of our adventures um, always seem to include uh, impending death and peril. Um, he was traveling in Ecuador and on a whim, like on a whim, because there's really tall mountains in Ecuador. He decided to, to climb one of the tallest mountains in the Western Hemisphere. It was over 21,000 feet high, covered with snow and ice and howling winds. Brent was not prepared as he climbed the mountain in blue jeans and a borrowed coat. He wasn't equipped for such extreme altitude, and he almost died. We laughed about it later, but he almost died. In a similar way, our current bodies are not equipped for heaven. Verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Then look at verse 53. For this perishable body must, it's imperative, must put on the imperishable. 
And this mortal body must put on immortality. Paul is saying that we humans as we are now are frail and perishable creatures and therefore we're unfit in our current state for a place in God's glorious kingdom in the age to come. Our current bodies are unfit for the blessings to come. There must be a change. This mortal body must put on immortality so that we will be made fit for the age to come. And thankfully, God through Christ Jesus will change us. Why number two? I think this is one's really important. Because we cannot know God as we should in our current existence. We are perishable and mortal. Though in Christ we are redeemed, and we know that we are now God's children, isn't it true that every day of our lives we fail to know God as we should and honor him as we should? Though we have his spirit and his word in our fallen state, we are incapable of knowing God as we will then. When Paul says, the mortal puts on immortality. In the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel tells God's people that he will one day resurrect them. Here is what God says. Listen, Ezekiel 37. You shall know that I'm the Lord. God's desire is that we would know him. You shall know me. This, God is saying, you're going to know me someday. And here's what he says. You shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your grave and raise you from your grave, O oh, my people. The prophets of old continually had to rebuke God's people for their stubbornness, their cold-heartedness, their self-centeredness. Israel often doubted God, and Israel often loved God's blessings more than they loved God. I'm afraid we too are like this too, aren't we? We don't know God as we should. We don't honor him as we should. We're often thankless and then ask for more blessings. <laughs> We doubt God. We don't trust him. And we don't even get all that excited about being resurrected with glorious, powerful spiritual bodies, right? We'd rather think about that trip to Miami or Disney World or Paris than meditate upon what God has in store for his people when all eternity kicks in. And so God says, yeah, you ain't going to know me until when. Well, you shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your grave and raise you from your grave, oh, my people. See how patient God is, how kind, how condescending. Oh, that we would long for such intimate knowledge of God. Oh, that we would see how utterly dependent on that last trumpet blaring to come 
As Paul says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. My friends, we need these new spiritual bodies so that we can know God. And by God's grace, he will make sure that we do have them. Why number three? Why does God raise us from the dead? Well, ultimately, it's for his glory. You know, many people cry foul when we say that God is jealous and zealous for his own glory. Right? If humans, if we, seek our own glory above anything else, we prove ourselves to be what? Narcissistic, arrogant, prideful. But it's different with God, right? Why? Because there is nothing more, more good, more greater. There is nothing in all existence greater than God. He is at the pinnacle. And God is the source of anything good that flows into your life. And so he is worthy of glory and honor. And so listen, if God does not recognize and even promote himself above all things, then that means that there must be something greater than God out there because God is spending his time on that. But my friends, there is no such thing. There is nothing greater than God. And so God is right to promote his glory and to draw us near to him so that we may experience his glory. So it is right and good, not just for us to praise God and delight in him, it is right and good for God to do the same. Does this make sense? Well, thankfully, God will resurrect us for his glory. Think about it. If God does not recreate this world and cause his people to be living beings on a physical earth, think about it. Then God's enemy, Satan, wins. Satan gets to laugh. Look at how he messed with everything. Your plan for human beings having physical bodies and, and living on earth forever in your presence, I ruin that. See, if, 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 we, if we do not have a physical resurrection, then God's enemy wins the victory. But my friends, God does not scrap his plans. No, he will redeem and restore his creation to an even greater glory in the age to come. And by virtue of our faith in Christ, we get to participate in that victory to come. Do you remember last week, the last verse we looked at, remember what Paul says? He says, the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. There is a day coming when the curse of Adam and death itself will perish. Death will die. As our text says, beginning in verse 54, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has already won the victory over sin and death. That's why he went to the cross for us. And so our response is what? To delight in this work of grace and live responsively, responsively to it. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all God's idea, right? This victory, it's a gift. Jesus gives it to you. You cannot earn it. Listen, Paul wants us 
as Christians understand that we are victors over sin and death right now. This belongs to us. What a gift. And so we thank God and we give him glory. Let's wrap up by looking briefly at how we're to respond. It's not much. It's not a lot. Paul talks for 57 57 verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And at the very last sentence, he gives application. Look at it, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers. All right, therefore. What? Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. All other labors that aren't in the name of the Lord are what? They're in vain. They end when your dot life ends. But labor in the Lord is a, is a labor that has meaning and purpose and value. Christian, because you have this hope of these resurrected bodies to come, you are to live powerful, meaningful, purposeful lives today. Paul says that we are to know that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Knowing that God has this day coming, we need not chase after meaningless things in this dot life that we experience now. And we need not live with anxiety or fear or shame or bitterness. See, the glory of the resurrected life to come changes everything for us here today. Do you see how this is true? Paul is saying, live your dot life with the line life to come in view. Paul knows what we know all so well, right? We live in the already, not yet. Christ and his, and his kingdom and his promises and his victory of that age to come, they're already here. We've received them. We own them. We will one day put on the imperishable bodies, but that is not yet what we've experienced. Until then, what happens? Our bodies regularly fail us. I'm living testimony to that. I'm always walking with a limp lately for some reason. Also, our minds fail us, and we give in to temptation, do we not? Though forgiven in Christ, we continue to amaze ourselves at how callous we can be towards God and towards others made in his image. So Paul encourages us this morning. Because God will bring around the resurrection of our bodies to come, we are to live steadfast, immovable lives, that abound in the work of the Lord. Grace Church, let this be our heart's desire. May we daily meditate upon this grace to come, and may we live our dot lives with this eternal line phase in mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you that these words are in Scripture. We delight in the fact that we will know you when you raise us from the dead. We are utterly dependent upon you to bring this all about. It is a gift of your grace. May our minds be filled with this day to come so that we no longer live for petty things here on earth. Rather, we could maybe live with great joy and delight and with great love towards others 
because we have this hope, we pray. Amen.